Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on the Fat Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food, real results, and sometimes how not to die. Uh, so, how are you doing out there? Pretty rough, right? Feeling a little stressed? I know I am. But it's important to know, especially during times like these, that at our best, we can use this stress and put it to good use instead of letting it completely destroy us. And a long range of studies, unfortunately, have shown that chronic stress caused by things like social isolation, long-term unemployment, untreated depression, and more can actually shorten your DNA telomeres, which in turn can speed up the aging process and then just wreak havoc on your health in a, in a myriad of ways. So how can we be proactive and slow or reverse the signs of aging. Well, to help us out, I figure we might as well invite one of our friends and a modern day superhero in his own way, Mr. Brad Kearns. Brad, of course, is our friend and a New York Times bestselling author, host of the Get Over Yourself podcast, and a top-ranked professional triathlete who, get this, broke a Guinness World Record in speed golf. And on today's show, we're discussing why it's important to maintain passion, the benefits of micro-workouts, I'm a big fan, how to support hormone function as we age, why we should be eating nose to tail, especially you carnivores out there and you keto folks, nose to tail, remember, and tons more. But before we get there... Here's a note that recently came in from Diana. She says, I wanted to say thank you so much for these amazing free resources. My husband and I have been following you since my diet is better than yours. We really appreciate all the great interviews you have done. We've watched just about every single one and they have changed our lives so very much. We appreciate how genuine you are and how much you truly care about the people you are helping. Thank you, Abel, for offering so many free resources. I know you are making an enormous difference in the lives of so many people. I'm just starting my health coaching business, and I always recommend your book to all of my clients. Please keep up the good work, Diana. Diana, you know how to make me smile. This, <laughs> this is lovely. It was wonderful to read your note, so thank you for, for getting in touch and sending it in. You know, since I started this, many people don't know that I was sick and unhealthy, and that was really the catalyst hitting rock bottom when I lost everything in an apartment fire, almost literally. Yeah, this weekend, 11 years ago, this weekend, 11 years ago, lost everything in an apartment fire, lost my health, actually got H1N1 swine flu, uh, was never tested for. It was hard to get tested as well back then. But anyway, I hit rock bottom, went through some really rough times, and then decided to turn my health around, not by following my doctor's advice, which is what I was already doing, but by doing the opposite of what my doctor told me. And that's when I really healed. So uh, for those of you out there who kind of get some of the free resources and then join our more premium coaching communities and start buying the books and all of that, that keeps all of this going. And you are the reason that we're doing all of this. Because when I was out there reading the running magazines, listening to my doctor, it made me fat and sick. And, you know, they put me on a half dozen different expensive prescription medications. So this really is a lifestyle and real food. Once you once you embrace it, there is no turning back. And, and I love that you said you're starting your own health coaching business because that is is exactly what we all need right now. And, and speaking of, I just started up a tip jar over at fatburningman.com. And if you're interested in getting group coaching or uh, coaching more on a one-to-one -one basis virtually, then please visit fatburningman.com slash tip jar because I just set up a whole new coaching section which we're gonna be trying for a limited time, especially because a lot of people seem to need it and you're writing in and asking for it. And thankfully now that, you know, in a lot of ways we're not burning up time traveling and looking for a new place to live or, or trying to recover from being poisoned last year, blah, 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 long story. Now we have good internet and plenty of time to really get up close and personal with you, virtually speaking, with our new communities on Patreon. We're doing as well Slack. We, of course, have the Fat-Burning Tribe as well, but there are many new projects that we're getting going. So please go over to fatburningman.com if you're interested in, in any of that, whether it's you know, our free content, which makes up 95% of it. We have over 300 shows with full write-ups over at fatburningman.com, as well as when you sign up for our newsletter, which is totally free, 
I send out my free books very often. And just in the past few months, we were able to give away over 13,000 books all across the world. And so uh, if you appreciate our free content and there's nothing else you can do, you're completely broke. <laughs> Trust me, I know what that's like. Um, then then please just share this content around and enjoy the free content. But if, if, if you are able to throw a few bucks our way and help buy a coffee or keep the lights on, or if you want some extra premium coaching, please visit us over at fatburningman.com slash tip jar. Don't forget to check out my new number one internationally best-selling book and audio book, Designer Babies Still Get Scabies, which in some ways is very relevant, more relevant than ever right now. And hopefully it'll help give you a few giggles, uh, release some of the negative energy that's that's stewing around these days. You can check out my new book at designerbabiesbook.com. All right, on to the show with our friend Brad Kearns. We're chatting about how to support optimal hormone function as we age, what the latest longevity research is telling us, the benefits of micro-workouts, why we should be eating nose to tail, and tons more. Let's go hang out with Brad. All right, folks, we're here with Brad Kearns, a New York Times bestselling author, host of the Get Over Yourself podcast, and a top-ranked professional triathlete who broke a Guinness World Record in speed golf. So if this conversation ever gets boring, I'm going to be talking about speed golf. Brad, welcome to the show, man. Oh my gosh, Abel, I can't believe this day has come. The longtime listener slash viewer. Now I'm on the show. It's like a dream come true. And we're we're so fresh and warmed up here because uh, I just had you on my show. So we are cranking today, man. We're on fire. I'm loving it. It's been too long. I really wish that we all lived closer so we could get together like every couple of weekends and just have a big powwow and barbecue and whatever. But let's start right there with barbecue. And carnivore is a big thing word these days. A lot of people are kind of experimenting with it or maybe hearing it for the first time in this context. I know that you've been dabbling for a while. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. The message is extremely compelling. And the leaders, guys like Dr. Paul Saladino, Dr. Sean Baker, present a very thoughtful and scientifically researched argument that seems so crazy and wacky on the surface that to me, one of the best things about this experience of, of me dabbling in it and learning more about it, writing a cookbook, a crazy cookbook called Carnivore Cooking for Cool Dudes with Wisdom great recipes. Cool dudes, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, for me, it's been this exercise in critical thinking and open-mindedness and challenging uh, fixed and rigid beliefs, which by and large are not a great way to go through life. And we're so into this fitness and health scene and the, and the ancestral living scene that we actually have formed fixed and rigid beliefs, uh, thinking that we're the progressive leaders and, and, and the free thinkers and all that great stuff. But this kind of has knocked me on my heels a little bit because I take these things to be true. I mean, you have the wild diet and eating your vegetables and almost no one can criticize this approach of Abel James saying to eat natural, wholesome foods that come from the wild. Uh, but then here's someone saying, well, wait a second, these plant toxins could be harmful to certain people. And we've already seen that people have experienced a health transformation who are unwell, who are suffering from autoimmune or inflammatory conditions by going on a restrictive diet. So you, you, you can't criticize people having a health transformation and a, a miracle healing. I won't say that I'm one of these people who is suffering from uh, nagging, frustrating illnesses that can't be cured by, by medicine. So I'm not in that category of desperation where I should be really thinking about trying anything yeah. uh, besides taking more medicines. Uh, I'm just trying to optimize my health, pursue athletic peak performance goals. And again, as someone who's sharing the message, I want to have that open mind and that, that testing and experimenting where I can make a measured opinion about something because I've really tried it. Yeah. And it, it gets tricky, though, because I remember when I was learning how to drive, I had the same driver's ed instructor as my mom. He, you know, taught everyone in my tiny little town. And he was on Atkins back then. And so he would have me drive him to McDonald's and get a custom order that they would make special for him because he taught them how to drive, too. And he... <laughs> He would get multiple hamburger patties with, with cheese over the top, and that was his health plan. And he lost a bunch of weight doing that, and the whole school was just like, what? 
And I, I bring up that story because there is a portion of, of people, I think, who are going into carnivore, keto, paleo, whatever, with kind of like that's as much thinking as is ever going into it for them. You know what I mean? Like we see a lot of people who are just kind of like, oh, you just eat meat all the time? All right. So what's the difference between that and what you're talking about? Well, when you're talking about this nose to tail carnivore approach, I think that seems to make the most sense because you're getting a lot of variation and nutritional density. And one thing that's particularly interesting to me is pursuing these, these superfoods, the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And apparently liver is right up there on the ranking system, yeah. along with oily cold water fish and these things that are found in the animal kingdom. It's virtually indisputable that the nutritional density of eight ounces of liver is going to blow away anything from the plant kingdom or any other food. And so, uh, same with uh, you know a can of sardines. Mm -hmm. You're getting you know a massive nutritional density, high satiety, all these things that promote health. And also, I think one of the big things, of course, in the diet world, is reducing excess body fat. That's what almost everyone has on the top of their list. And so a restrictive diet is going to help you drop excess body fat just by definition because you're, you're restricting certain foods. Now, when those foods that you're going for, let's say you're doing a carnivore experiment for 30 days, which is a great idea for anyone who's suffering, but beyond that, anyone who wants to drop excess body fat, it's going to really work effectively because the foods are so satiating. It's not a, a crazy starvation diet. So you're eating these big meals and you're watching body fat go away, it seems like it has some validity, you know, just on those two counts. And the people who are concerned about, you know, blood work going wrong or having long-term heart disease risk factors, these are in many ways stories that are 30 years dated to what mm -hmm. science is really revealing. And we know that populations have survived for long periods of time on ancestral style diet, which is at times extremely heavy on animal foods and devoid of plant foods. We also know that we, you can succeed the other way around where you're having a wild plant-based diet and, and thrive and you know succeed for a long period of time, provided there's a little bit of variation and you're not getting nutritional deficiencies from for some reason, restricting some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, maybe it's morality or whatever you want to do, that's going to be a lot of hard work to kind of climb out of those holes when we're, when we're trying to align with what our ancestors ate. One of the things I've unfortunately seen the past few years is it seems like as all these different words come up and kind of fly around, paleo, keto, carnivore, how do you keep it all straight, is that people may not be keeping their eye on the nose to tail seeing the uh, animal foods for the nutrients within them as well, knowing which ones you need and which quantities, how often, there is a little bit of a learning curve. The way I see it is, is something like, uh, you see vegan is, is almost more popular than ever, vegetarian more popular than ever, at the same time as carnivore. Elimination diets are more popular than ever, right? Whole 30, these are all, they have that in common. But if you're going to do an elimination diet, it makes sense to me anyway, to like go in with, but you got to read up a little bit. You have to pay attention to your body. And I would think you would also want to be like doing some level of self-quantification if you can to see how it's treating you because there is no perfect food. And, and also anyone in the primal and ancestral health community should be familiar with the fact that, yeah, plants hurt us. Wheat's a plant, you know, like GMO frankenplants are plants and they have lots of things that plants in general that can help us. And they have lots of things that can hurt us, but we need to treat it kind of like medicine. And, and that requires a bit of education at the beginning. So maybe you can just talk to that a little bit. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, when I was opening my mind to some of these concepts that perhaps I didn't know everything there was to know after writing about and living in the, the primal ancestral scene for a decade, and one of the things that popped up was I would be making an effort to make this huge super nutrition green smoothie many mornings where I'd throw in a ton of uh, raw produce and then all my powders and potions and collagen and, and protein and magnesium and, you know, MCT oil, and there was all this great stuff in there. And I'd experience bloating and digestive pain 
reliably every time in the hours afterward because I'd just eaten many, many ounces of raw produce, the kale and the celery and things that are extremely difficult to digest in the raw form, even though that's when they're in their most nutrient-dense form. And I was talking to my other health enthusiast friend about this, and he said, oh, of course you get a bloated stomach after drinking a smoothie, but it's worth it for all that nutrition in there. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, something's wrong here. Yeah. If you're experiencing transient abdominal pain and bloating and gas in the aftermath of consuming what you perceive to be a healthy meal. Yeah. And so I think that reasonability and like you said, tracking and seeing how you feel, I'm not a big self-quantifier. I, I predate, like my athletic career predated all the technology. So the number of watts that I pushed on my bike or anything like that is completely over my head. And I, when I got deep into the keto thing, you know, Mark and I have been writing these books and, and doing immersive research and, and living what we're talking about. So I was pricking my finger every single day and marking my blood values and tracking my glucose with meals. And after a certain point, uh, I personally get kind of burnt out on it because I have more important things to do with my life. So at a certain point, you got to leave that stuff maybe in the background a little bit and just assess how you feel and the psychological value of your meals or a dietary pattern that you're following. And it's, you know, possibly a, a super strict exclusive diet is maybe something that you do as a bucket list experience and it's not going to be the rest of your life that you're sitting there at a gathering and, and turning down the homemade cheesecake. I know you like cheesecake, man. I saw oh, that on so the last good. sentence of your bio. So you know, good. if you're that person who's going to be that way the rest of your life, you might possibly be missing out on fun and enjoyment and all that. So yeah, I'm kind of evolved to you know, I'm a very disciplined guy. I want to do the right thing with my health. I don't eat crappy food. I, I never will again. But in terms of my, you know, regimentation of how I'm eating, I am so far from that and so over it that now I'm just trying to adhere to these wonderful principles like perhaps fasting is the best baseline as a dietary strategy. And then Mark Sisson coined this new term just a couple of weeks ago when we were recording. He says, you know, I'm going to call it intermittent eating instead of intermittent fasting. There you and go. That's, a, that's a pretty good mind blower right there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's well, also metabolic flexibility. When you look into that a little bit, it's like the ability to not eat sometimes, to eat this sometimes, to eat that sometimes. That's something we should all be able to do. But like I was saying earlier today on, on your show, when you like the hunger that you feel when you really fast for the first time, especially the first longer term fast, you know, two, three days, something like that. It's, it's a novel experience that most people have not really gotten used to yet. And you need to learn your way around it. But once you do, I mean, the ability to, I, I've heard you talk about downing ice cream sometimes, and that's delicious. It's wonderful to be able to do that. I remember with Chris Kresser and Bill and Haley Staley way back at the paleo effects days when that was first getting started we all went and got ice cream together at a paleo conference it was grass-fed it was real stuff from healthy cows and it was it was awesome because part of this too I think that I don't want people to get too caught up in is the whole like identity politics part of health where it's like I'm a carnivore I'm a vegan and it's like okay so you can never have the littlest bit of honey ever Manuka honey, even to help you like heal a wound, you can't use his medicine. And the carnivore person, it's like, all right, you're never ever gonna have coffee again. It's like, no, we don't need to define it as that. We don't need to call ourselves these things, even. I think it's more important to identify maybe at a more meta level, just as 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 someone who is a health enthusiast. That's a terrible, lame way of explaining it, but we need a better, maybe Mark Sisson can coin a name of like, how do we make Someone who is into health cool without saying I'm a carnivore versus I'm a vegan, right? Without making it this antagonistic thing where we're pitted against each other and competing against each other as, as health nuts. No, we should be like trying to work out recipes together and trying to challenge the science and cha challenge the, the actual, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is we should try to make it a productive conversation instead of one that's just going straight into the toilet. 
That's well, well said. I think the best starting point is to find that common ground like you emphasize so often. And another thing that has really touched me, uh, two people I really respect in the movement, Dr. Peter Atia, one of the most extreme yeah. and deeply researched self-quantifying guys. Talk about a and tracker, also, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan, too. I'm going to put them both in this category because they said the same thing to me. And it more or less saying that if you just get rid of the nasty, toxic, processed modern food, you're so far down the road that the rest of it, like you just described, the, the wars between this faction and that faction, that might just be fun and games for our, our amusement, really. Yeah. And, you know, Peter, he, he was on my very first show on the Get Over Yourself podcast. And one of the first things he said, so one of the first things said on my first show, he said, just eat stuff that your great grandmother would have eaten. I and love if you that. can just do that, you have reached 80% of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to health and longevity. Now, you want to come and talk about the other 20%? Tune up your, your podcast playlist and get deep into all the content that you put out and all the experts that we talked about that their life's work is researching in the laboratory and coming up with all these great things. Uh, but Dr. Kate, I consult with her personally for my own peak performance and looking at my blood work and just you know helping to, to figure out what's the very best thing to eat and, and what the best patterns are and sometimes I've, I've pushed it too hard and asked too many questions and she says you know maybe that's not even related to your diet maybe you're just tired because you're <laughs> an old guy trying to do these crazy workouts and it was a real eye-opener because yeah. if you start to get too obsessed with this stuff and think that everything's weighted on whatever uh, diet you're going to pick, you're missing sort of the stress factor of being too keyed up about your diet. So I like that variation, flexibility, metabolic flexibility, mental flexibility. Mark and I put a, a section in our new book, Keto for Life, paired with metabolic flexibility is mental flexibility and being able to go with the flow, not just with you know the food choices you're presented with tonight, but also in daily life. So I think we got to expand the conversation, look at a bigger picture picture than just nitpicking our macros and you know like the um the driver's ed guy going to mcdonald's he's going to lose weight you know atkins had the chemistry right decades ago uh, but then as we kind of close the loop on this thread here that we're rambling upon you know if you're going to try something like carnivore you're talking about nose to tail you're bringing in the nutrient density and you're not kind of frivolously pursuing these dietary uh, patterns that you know could be counterproductive if you're not doing it the right way. I think the best example or the worst example uh, is keto. Yeah, and it's got so popular. Everyone knows the word now. The person sitting next to you on the flight knows what keto is. But all that entails is a certain macronutrient composition, mm -hmm. and you know you can do that with a bunch of crappy foods just hitting these numbers, but that's not really the, the essence of what the movement's all about. The movement's all about, you know, burning clean fuel and tapping into the, the liver's ma magnificent ability to make these ketones so that your brain can think clearly and all that great stuff. That's not about uh, chowing down uh, diet sodas and, you know, things like that. Dirty keto. And right, dirty keto. Dirty vegan too, right? Have you seen Game Changers? That's controversial these days. Uh, people are begging me to see it. And um, what I I, what I, pre, uh, I put on the list above that was Chris Kresser's three-hour takedown on right. Joe Rogan podcast, you know, slide by slide, step by step. Uh, but the, um, you know, the, the propaganda is, is pretty strong and we have to be really sensitive to that, I think. It is strong. And one of the things, if I can just comment on the vegan thing for a second, because I did watch I finally caved. I was just like, I'm not going to watch more of this, this crap. Like I've watched too many vegan movies over the years, you know, cause you get all those questions and just, they're like, what do you think about this one? And it's like, okay, I'll tell you what I think <laughs> a little bit overall, the vegan stuff that's coming out now is like industrial wall street vegan. You know what I mean? It's like one of the biggest things that they showed in this movie plant-based, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean because I consider the wild diet like plant-based. It's mostly by volume plants. By calories, it could easily be mo mostly animal foods, but it could also be mostly plant. It doesn't really matter to me. It's all about what works for you. But in, in this particular documentary and in a few others, it makes no differentiation between eating raw organic kale, having a smoothie like you talked about, which is one way of kind of doing vegan, raw vegan. Then there's the Beyond Meat, Impossible Burger, GMO, 
you know, just like concocted fake meats where these people are eating. They're just like, yeah, I'm vegetarian and my health is better than ever. I have such great energy. And they're eating chicken tenders, they're eating burgers, and they're eating all of this other fake bacon. It's like none of this stuff resembles meat. None of this stuff resembles food. It's all packed with chemicals and processed nonsense. And that in and of itself shouldn't be virtue signaling anything, I wouldn't think. Like supporting the machine is just falling into their hands, I would think. So I get really worked up when I see stuff like that, where it's like, what do you think about this movie? Now they can make burgers that taste better than real meat and it's going to save the world. What's your quick take on that, Brad? Yeah, I get worked up, man, because what we're preying upon are people that don't have all day to dig into the research and formulate measured opinions or not even the the wherewithal to uh, do a dietary experiment because they're too busy getting their kids their peanut butter and jelly and getting out the door by 8 a.m. So we have a very vulnerable population that's well-meaning. Most people really want to improve their health and eat right and drop the excess body fat and get their blood values down, and they're getting manipulated by uh, marketing advertising forces. I just uh, read a great book called The Hacking of the American Mind by Dr. Robert Lustig. And he talks about, you know, he's the anti-sugar crusader that many of the listeners are familiar with. Mm -hmm. But now he's expanding the premise that the addictive properties of sugar and the people pushing sugar at us are also now extending out to social media and the way the apps are created to draw more of your attention in. And the, the street drugs, the prescription drugs, porn, you know, digital uh, distractions are sucking at our, our brains. And I think it's my, my number one concern about modern society is that we're getting you know, down this rabbit hole of things that deliver short-term instant gratification pleasures but they have the addictive properties. They flood the dopamine pathways in the brain. And when you flood the dopamine pathways in your brain, you become incapable of lighting up the serotonin pathways, which Dr. Lustig describes as happiness, contentment, long-term, healthy, balanced lifestyle. We're just we're passing those by with video games and the things that are really drawing us in. And so food is right there in the top of the list. And these manipulative forces that are trying to tell some story that's not really based in science but there's a product behind it it's like watch out people you know watch out eating any nasty processed stuff it's just not gonna it's not gonna stack up to a sustainably raised animal well and oftentimes it is based on science but the science that's meant to kill you and keep you addicted you know what i mean like there's a lot of science in this food but it's not science for your health it's not it's even like the idea of genetically modified organisms shouldn't be a bad one in a perfect world but in this world I don't know if I'd trust these people with like my DNA and the DNA and RNA and expression of all that in my children and their children and their children. And, and you look at some of the generational stuff that can happen if you don't get this nailed down, you don't build it into your tradition. If you don't build the, the skills that you need in the kitchen, it's going to be tough to survive. Another thing, though, I think that's, that's worth bringing up because there, there have been recently supply chain disruptions is looking at food security as well and how to manage your health throughout all of that. And one thing I, I thought about, you know, looking into the carnivore thing, it's just like, that's great if you've got a bunch of chest freezers that can keep, you know, a whole cow cold. Well, what happens if your power goes out or what happens if you like can't get to the store if you're snowed in you know we get ice storms and we get real weather here and i grew up in new hampshire where like we couldn't leave for 10 days sometimes we lose power or whatever what are you going to eat and how are you going to make sure that your your family is going to survive so what's your take on like if you know everything goes sideways what are you going to do to keep your health and make sure that you're fed as well well, I love to have the centerpiece of our eating pattern be the ability to uh, have that closed loop system, as Mark Sisson calls it, and go into a, an extended fast and uh, turbo boost the ketone production. So, in in the event of disaster, um, boy, you know that those who are metabolically flexible are probably going to fare better for a longer period of time. But just in general everyday life, you know, I related that example of feeling bloated and, and painful after my smoothie, and now. Uh, 
we can come to common ground and realize, I believe this is virtually undisputed. I don't know. You can get a guess next week that might, might counter this. But when the body is in a fasted state, that's when it's at its most efficient function. That's when your immune function is absolute best, your cell repair, your autophagy, your apoptosis, all these things are at their peak. So you can't top fasting with any superfood or juice concoction down the street or uh, you know pill box of uh, different things. And so if you, we can start there and agree that if you can spend time uh, skipping meals, actually experiencing those sensations of hunger, working through that a little tiny bit to, to kickstart fat burning if you want to drop excess body fat, then we can start talking about what meal choices are the best. I think that's a, a smooth way to attract someone who's too busy to deal with all the nitty gritty of which diet should they choose. It's like, how about just eat less food and you know go through life a little more gracefully instead of being a pig, which most mm -hmm. modern humans are. But not eat less the way that I used to try to by eating less at every meal and eating often. That didn't really work for me. What worked for me was the compressed eating windows, the intermittent eating, as Mark calls it, right? Where you're not eating for a while and you're in the not eating mode. And then you're in the eating mode for a while. That is, for me, a much more streamlined way of eating less than, you know, the other way of doing it, which you can totally do, but that's that's a you know eating the many small meals that that are just enough to make you hungry that was torture on me it really was oh sure that's you know clearly going to be a inferior strategy. Dr. Kate Shanahan's new book, The Fat Burn Fix, she talks about when you snack on anything, even if it's a high fat nutritious snack or your keto thing in the wrapper, um, you immediately shut down fat burning. Mm -hmm. It's stored body fat burning and you spike insulin, even if it's a high fat snack. And so when we snack throughout the day, we're constantly interrupting our body's incredible ability to burn fat, stabilize energy, stabilize cognitive function, mood, appetite, hormones, everything's cool until we interrupt it with a snack or a bunch of small meals. And when you go that route, which we've been going for decades, right? We've been trying to do the zone diet and the, uh, the six meals a day if you're a bodybuilder and you're serious about fitness. When you go that route, then you're dependent upon this perfect world scenario where you always have the proper snacks and foods. And oh my gosh, Abel, I remember living my life like that for so long as a triathlete where I had to have these three types of energy bars and my, my nuts and my peanut butter. And I'd travel with this concoction of food that I had to have with me all the time. Otherwise, I'd get hungry and droopy, and I felt like my next day's workout would be compromised if I didn't constantly stuff my face with the right foods. Yeah. How about the immune system, though, especially when you're trying to combine heavy training sometimes or competition with fasting? How do you manage that? Because you can, you can damage the immune system by eating too much or too little or exercising too much or too little. It's, it's definitely something you have to keep in balance, especially at your level, and you have a level of training that most people haven't experienced. Oh, I thought you were going to say, especially at your level, like my age level now, because I'm I'm still trying to, I just turned 55. I can't believe it. And I'm still trying to compete in these track meets and do this crazy stuff. But when you're trying to throw in uh, the fasting and the strenuous exercise, these are both forms of stress to the body. So let's be clear that like fasting is a, is a hormetic stressor. And then you have the workout, which is a hormetic stressor. And then you're trying to fast afterwards because we've probably said this on our podcast a few times that the adaptive hormones spike and they float around in the bloodstream, testosterone, growth hormone. And so you try to fast for a little while after your workout to maximize those benefits. But those can all add up to be too stressful, especially if you have any sort of disturbances in endocrine function, like your adrenal burnout, they call it, or thyroid dysfunction. And so that's where we have to have a little bit of art form here and test and see what works. And I reference my age because that's another stressor here is trying to do these workouts at my age instead of in my prime when, you know, my son, he's 22, he can go have a hot fudge Sunday and then go play full court basketball game <laughs> yeah. and think nothing of it and then have another hot fudge Sunday after he's done and then sit down and, and type out a paper. <laughs> like any of those hot fudge Sundays coming into my world are paired with a nap every single time, yeah. you know? So uh, we have to be careful to apply the, you know, the individual parameters and figure out 
about what works best. Right. And I know we're going to talk about fitness and, and workout design, but I've recently had a tremendous breakthrough in making my workouts less stressful and easier to recover from my, my strenuous workouts. And then I think you can throw just to continue talking about diet. Uh, you can figure out optimal timing of certain nutrients. People talk about carbs if they're low carb and then they do a workout, they carb refeed and all that. And I've heard about these structured strategies and I think those are maybe a little ridiculous. They don't really resonate with me. My main man, Brian McAndrew, who does all our audio and video content, and he's also living the dream as a real keto enthusiast. He's my co-author on the, on the Cool Dudes Cookbook. He says, you know what? Life is gonna give you refeeds. And that's a great quote for everyone to appreciate. And I think he's not just talking about when it's Abel's birthday and the, he's serving cheesecake. Uh, it's also when your appetite spikes and you feel like going and raiding the, uh, the, the kitchen cupboard for an evening uh, carb boost, that's probably a really profound example of, of honoring your appetite. Just like a, a female who's pregnant and her heightened sensitivity, she's craving a couple eggs. There's a reason for that. So I think we can, if we get the noise out of the way, then we can go by intuition, appetite, things like that. Uh, mindful eating, of course, not just binging because you, you think you're, you're craving sugar, but really you're bored or you're stressed out. Uh, then we can kind of elevate the, the quality of one's diet beyond food choices. Let's talk about your workouts now, since you brought that up. I'm fascinated by how, especially like world-class athletes handle that as time goes on. And hearing you and Mark kind of like talk about it was was really great. But maybe you can just start with the story of your dad, because that really touched me. Oh, my gosh. My dad was the greatest role model for, you know, healthy, balanced, stress-free living. He, he was able to manage stress, and he lived an incredible 97 years, um, 95 of them in fantastic health and performing these incredible feats on the golf course. That was his main sport. And his achievements, you know, unrivaled in many ways. He was the top golfer in the world over age 90 for several years. Wow. And he also set the record for uh, competing in the, the national championship, the U.S. Amateur, with the longest gap in years. So he was a 19-year-old, and he qualified for the U.S amateur. He was the number one golfer at Princeton. So he was a top college player back in, you know, 1941. Uh, and then oh uh, like 35 years later, he actually qualified for the U.S. senior amateur and, and went to Texas and played at the highest level uh, for the old guys. So he went through his whole life, you know, with these athletic goals that drove him and he was a very serious player, you know, very competitive. He'd take money off the younger guys, uh, you know, all, all day long. And and I think that was something to watch because you have to have something that drives you and gets you up in the morning and that you're serious about. It doesn't have to be at a national level and you have to be a super serious athlete or have a number on your shirt, but it's something that gets you out of bed and gets you focused and you have a passion for pushing and challenging yourself and exploring your outer limits. So I've tried to live that way my whole life. I had a professional uh, competitive career that ended long ago. I was on the triathlon circuit for nine years and I was living and breathing the sport of triathlon during that time. And then when it's time to move on, you have to recognize that as an athlete and, and move on gracefully. But I want to maintain this passion and this competitive intensity throughout my life and always have a target somewhere that I'm, that I'm really going for and that I'm really all in with. And that was kind of what my dad represented was that dude was, you know, he would be out there trying to make putts and and work on his game and get lessons when he was 95 years old. And uh, I remember playing, and, and I, I should also mention that he had this, this most graceful decline you could ever imagine, where he just started to get more tired and take more naps and sleep more. And then in two years, he was gone without the pain and suffering and the extended suffering that we see is so common when people let themselves go. And we're going to get 10 more years out of them, but they're going to be pumped full of drugs. They're not going to know what's going on. So he had this perfect perfect system of going at a high level and then having a pretty pretty abrupt drop off and then you know transitioning finally at 97 but towards the end there he was kind of frustrated because he wasn't playing as well as he was in his past life and it was funny and people would tease him because it's like Walter you know his playing partner gave a great one liner uh, my dad was complaining because he had uh, macular degeneration and so his his vision was going and he he'd be playing golf and he'd be like dang I can't see the 
ball. I'm sorry, where did it go? And he was so frustrated that he couldn't see his ball. And his playing partner says, Walter, the reason you can't see the ball is because you hit it too goddamn far for a 95-year-old. <laughs> he goes, I can see every one of my shots because they're 10 feet off the ground and they only go 100 yards. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, awesome. but just like he had that edge to him, even though he was very sportsmanlike and he wasn't, uh, I'm not describing him as some tough guy competitor, but he had an edge inside that he really wanted to do his best all the way through his life. He didn't retire from that passion anyway, it sounds like. He also practiced medicine until he was 95. So he had a medical license and he volunteered once a week at a clinic. And that, you know, that gave him a purpose in life. And we look at the longevity research, the the programs like the Blue Zones uh, emphasize that, that having that life purpose every day, the Japanese call it, it's not Yui Maru. Yui Maru is the um, the sense of community. Uh, ikigai is the sense of life purpose, and it's so important to you know not rest on your laurels. Or now we have an incredible age of affluence in the certain percentage of the population where people don't have to work for the first time in in memory. There's a ton of people out there that are driving their new cars around. They don't have to do anything the rest of their life because they cashed out their stock options. But this can really correlate with a decline in mental and emotional. Health. So we want to keep that edge going. Yeah. Yeah. I can personally relate to that. Like when we take a break, sometimes we purposely make it a little bit too long. (laughs) You know what I mean? Take a break from the internet, from producing content, from writing, any of that stuff. It's uh, I I think it really is important to let that pendulum swing back to the other side so that you, you almost crave it again. You know what I mean? Love that. You yeah, you're itching again. to get going, itching to record some more shows. Yeah. Probably at the end of today, since you told me you're doing seven shows, you're probably going to be totally uh, you know, out until next ready week. for a little break, play some guitar, <laughs> play some banjo. But uh, we all got to discover that and make a point to go and look for these challenges because life is so freaking easy now that we can easily skate through. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to make it a little bit hard and challenge our bodies consistently not in giant ego-based ways, but in tiny little ways consistently throughout your life. So one of the ways that you've been talking about doing that is micro workouts. And I love that something that I've been working into my routine for, for years now, I don't think I'd be able to do these recording days without these little micro workouts. I was talking about it on your show. But just for people who are listening right now, when I do these big days, usually I have five or 10 minutes to like take a little bio break or maybe go play guitar for a second, or I'll do some push ups, some pull ups, swing kettlebells just to get the blood flowing again. It really, really helps. So Brad, talk about how it helps you in your life because there are so many different benefits that show up. I know you're you're laughing because, or you should be laughing because you were doing these years ago and writing about them on your website, you know, way back when, when you're the anti-gym guy and just going and doing the the natural things and taking your clients through that. Uh, But the concept implies that the idea of doing these brief bouts of explosive effort during your busy day or largely sedentary day for many of us can add up to this incredible cumulative fitness benefit without the risks and drawbacks of these extreme chronic workouts that can push you too hard, overstimulate the stress hormones and lead to breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury. And that's essentially the description of the modern day fitness industry. When you go to a fitness trade show or you see what's going on in the health clubs where we're taking these poor unfit people and just driving them you know, to to the extreme with the loud music pumping and they're asked to sprint over and over and they do an hour workout, they feel buzzed and and a brief sense of accomplishment afterward, but it can lead to this decline in motivation, alliance with the, you know, desired program and even uh, physical breakdown. So the concept of micro workouts is that when you have a, a spare minute in your cubicle, you can drop for a set of 20 deep squats. And if you're a fit guy and you're thinking that's nothing, let's talk when you get to number 16, 17, 18. And I'm talking all the way down. My Olympic runner friend, Michael Stenberg, calls it ass to grass squat. So you get that butt lowered all the way as far as you can go. And if you can't go that far, keep working on it because you have inflexibilities that you want to work on. But if you can just do something simple like that, a set of 20 deep squats, it has a huge impact on your immediate uh, boost in energy and cognitive function and insulin sensitivity and all those things that are compromised when we sit around for too long. And if you throw them in and integrate them into the extent that they become habit, then you're leading this healthy, active lifestyle, which is 
this is scientifically validated now too, most likely more important to your fitness, your health, and your longevity than adhering to a hardcore workout schedule. Because even the hardest core gym person, CrossFit person who's going four days a week and the other days they do cardio, okay, okay, guess what? They're adding up to seven or eight hours or 10 or 11 hours of training each week. There's 168 hours in a week. And if you're spending, you know, nine hours in the office, an hour and a half on the train back and forth, and another couple hours on the couch watching Netflix because you're so tired because you did that 6 a.m. spin class, you're leading a sedentary lifestyle. There's, there's something called the active couch potato syndrome where people who have a devotion to fitness, who are going to the gym and knocking it out every day, they have similar disease risk factors to the sedentary people if they bank a lot of sedentary time like I just described. So if we can throw in something that every listener can really implement with ease and grace and, and not it's not a big ask, these micro workouts could be a life changer. So I mentioned the deep squats. You know I have a, a hex bar, a deadlift bar in, this side, in my side yard and it's on the path to the garbage can. So when I take the kitchen garbage out the side door and throw it away, I always stop for as little as one set of deadlifts, I have 200 pounds on the bar because I'm, I'm not a strong guy, but you know, I've worked up to That's that. That's pretty good so to go cold. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. But I'll do, let's say, eight reps of 200 pounds. So that's 1,600 pounds that I lifted just from throwing out the garbage. And I'll do that at least once a day. Sometimes I'll go and do two or three sets if I have five to 10 minutes to spare in between shows, whatever. And if you add that up over a year's time, I'm lifting hundreds of thousands of pounds outside of my workouts and my little training log that says what I did at the gym and how many sets and all that. And so that elevates the platform from which I launch all my other workouts tremendously, as well as having those immediate benefits on refreshing my cognitive function, keeping me away from those sedentary negative effects. And I have a pull-up bar, I have stretch cords, everything in my office environment is set up for me to succeed. You described the same thing where there's a kettlebell sitting there calling your name. And boy, it's so simple, but it has such a, a huge payoff just to have these, you know, allow yourself to bust it out once in a while. And I'm talking, if you have less than a minute, you can still do the 20 squats. Yeah. And this has also paid dividends when I've gotten injured too, in the sense that uh, when you do these micro workouts and you kind of get used to working them into your life, uh, I was amazed by, especially since I, I kind of limited what I was eating when I broke my foot and I've had other injury, injuries over the years, I was still able to work in kind of like micro workouts without being able to use my foot. I still found ways just to do little things. And I think if I hadn't kind of built that skill, it would have been a lot harder to manage and come back from those injuries because like, that's hard. You know, that's how I'm kind of getting tendonitis right now from going from not playing a ton to like playing a ton of music. And so... You always need to keep an eye on that. But how do you manage injuries that naturally come up just over time with not losing your baseline fitness? Oh, that's funny. I'm thinking back to college when I was... I was thinking I was going to be a big time runner. I was a big distance runner in high school and I made it to the national junior Olympics finals. And I'm like, I'm going to be a college runner. It's going to be awesome. This was my whole identity as a young guy. And I was so serious about it and, and driven. And I drove myself right into a succession of illness and injury in college. I was uh, sick or injured for five seasons in a row. And wow. it was a terrible time in my life because it was also a, a, a commentary on the system where they push these kids too hard and indiscriminately and not thinking about all the other things in life. But I remember when I first got the first couple injuries, it's like my foot was messed up, so I couldn't run. And so to me, I just associated that like, I can't exercise. So I just have to go to the kegger parties and, and, and sit around and be a blob and gain weight and all these things. And then finally, I woke up to the idea that like, well, it hurts to run, 
but I can certainly sit on a bike and, and pedal the bike for miles and miles and hours and hours and jump in the pool. So I became a triathlete through the pain and suffering of getting injured as a, as a college runner. So I, I have to credit my negative college running experience at UC Santa Barbara to kickstart my long career as a triathlete, which was the much better sport for me anyway. So balancing the load with cross training is great. And uh, most people already know that insight, but I also want to put in a plug for uh, recovery and placing that at the centerpiece of your fitness experience rather than how can I go out, how many ways can I, can I bust on my body and push myself and work my muscles? I think we all know that you, know, you can cross train and stress yourself out so much that you're going to break down and fall apart. So you described uh, waking up the other day with the sniffles and changing your plan from an eight mile run to just taking a, a quick little outing with your dog. Yeah. And I think we have to develop that ability to become intuitive about our training decisions, uh, do what feels right, right at the time, rather than be a slave to a schedule or succumb to the ego influences of our peers. Yeah. We're not robots. It's not as simple as like, in and out, calories in, calories out, that sort of thing, right? We are complicated, complicated beings. And it seems like the ones who really age gracefully are the ones who nail recovery behind the scenes. You don't get to see that though, right? Most of the time, like that's the weird part is that people who are seeing the older guys like you and Mark crushing it, they're not necessarily seeing all of that type of work that you're putting in, but that's that can be the most important thing, right? People, you know, will uh, you'll meet somebody and they'll they'll learn that you're an athlete and they'll say, "Wow, you must have so much discipline." And they have it totally wrong. Like the discipline to get out the door and go go put in the effort is nothing. It's automatic. It requires no discipline or anything. So all the discipline, all the self discipline, especially when I was racing at the professional level and you know the the stakes were really high and I was trying to get the very most out of my body, all the self discipline came in in turning that dial down and taking your foot off the gas pedal a little bit and being patient and allowing the process of fitness to happen naturally. Uh, I have a one-liner to spit out on this. It's uh, take what your body gives you each day and nothing more. Don't force it. And some days your body doesn't feel like it. That's a really strong message that maybe you should uh, alter your approach because I think it should always be fun to go out there and exercise and do physical training. But a lot of people are locked into a pattern where they're just setting the alarm and getting their butt on the spinning bike to get crushed by a, a programming that's too stressful. And it's going to unwind after six weeks, eight weeks, or maybe two years. And they're going to be on the sidelines because subconsciously they associate that experience with pain and suffering rather than pleasure and enjoyment. So we have to be smart about our programming so that it always feels right in the moment. Yeah. Well, not that the conversation is, is slowing down, but we are running out of time. So let's make sure we talk about speed golfing first. Because what? <laughs> how do, oh, how do you the... have such a massive record in that? You're going from like, what's, what's the background? How did that happen? Oh, it's the greatest sport in the world. So quickly, it's an actual golf tournament where you go out there and you're keeping score, but they also time you as you proceed along the course. So it's it's pretty wacky. People should uh, Google uh, That's search what on YouTube be, right? <laughs> for watching speed golf. And um, you know, you're carrying only a handful of clubs and you're actually running at a pretty high speed to your shot. And you're hitting the shot and you're running again and you're going through the course. And the minutes and the strokes count for a point each. So if you envision uh, how difficult it is to score well, you have to shoot a good golf score. Uh, and you can't be hockey pucking the ball around into the hole and getting a nine because yeah. that's minutes of time that you lose. Or if you're careless and miss a short putt, that counts the same as a minute, which I can run an entire hole in a minute. So the tournament, the top guys in the world are shooting near par and playing the course in well less than an hour. My best score is a 78 in 47 minutes. So that's a speed golf score of 125, 78 Amazing. plus 47. But it also takes the sport of golf, which is boring and time-consuming and non-athletic. And now all of a sudden, it's an incredible athletic event. You kind of access that 
peak performance flow state that we talk about that we are, are so fond of because you don't have time to ruminate and process all this information like you watch the golf tournaments on TV. It's 147 yards with a slight wind from the left to right. He's going to pick a seven iron. You know, it's like I only have a few clubs. So I'm changing my, my shot and hitting a soft shot or a hard shot. You know, I'm, I'm mixing it up with this creativity with my clubs and I'm just taking my first look at my target and swinging the club and running to go get the shot. So by accessing that zone and getting out of your head and out of that over analytical mindset, all speed golfers find that they actually play really well hmm. and shoot good scores because they're free and loose and relaxed. So that's kind of the, the esoteric part of the sport, which is so beautiful that you can perform well, even while you're, you know, grooving through the course at high speed and running out of breath and all that. It's so awesome. One of the things I wondered about that is how do you manage the combination of these kind of like big muscles being expenditures with these fine motor skills that you're really trying to nail. I remember at my parents' house, we had a basketball hoop and sometimes I would lift in the backyard. And it's like, if I lifted and then tried to shoot a basket, it'd be an air ball. Like every time, like mm -hmm. my, it's not the fine motor uh, skills that I'm kind of engaging. So how do you, how do you do that part of it? I'm curious. It's a tough sport, man. You got to get in shape because you'll fall apart on the back nine if you're physically out of condition to run that fast. And uh, last year's national championships was played in Houston in 93 degree afternoon heat. And I remember, uh, you know, barely finishing because my body was so was so overheated yeah. uh, from the heat. But yeah. in the last few holes, when I could barely see straight and I was dizzy and rained down, uh, I'd grab the club and just swing and these beautiful shots would come off my club. So my golf huh. score was excellent, even when my body was barely hanging on, if it were like a 10K or something, you know, I'd be one of those guys that they were like, you know, carrying off the finish line. But I attribute that to the complete lack of tension and lack of interference with my analytical mind. I was just too tired to worry about it. And so I, you know, I'd, I'd grab the putter and I'd be 47 feet away from the hole and I'd hit it up to three inches away from the cup where the, the cup, I looked like I was seeing three different cups because of my delirium. And so that part is, is really fun to kind of disengage from that, that high intensity mindset that we're usually in as, as athletic competitors and just let things flow. And you can probably make an analogy to many other sports where you just got to get out of your own way and roll that bowling ball down at the pin and not worry about the precise steps and all that crap that interferes with peak performance flow. That's so cool. Yeah. Like Michael Jordan, when he had the flu. Right. He must have been seeing three baskets, but they're going yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's getting into exactly. a different flow state. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're just about out of time, Brad. But before we go, please tell folks what you're working on, where they can find your book and all the other cool stuff. Oh my gosh, you go to bradkearns.com, you will lock right into that speed golf video and you'll be <laughs> captivated to try it if you happen to jog and play golf, which that we have the statistics, right? We're trying to grow the sport and there's like, you know, there's 25 million joggers in the USA and there's like 25 million speed golfers. And then you draw, what is it called? The, um, the Venn diagram or something where the curves intersect. It's like, wait, there should be 9 million speed golfers out there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I have, you know, recent books, Mark Sisson and I are happy to uh, release this book called Keto for Life. And I have have a couple fun cookbooks with it that I talked about for, for cool dudes. So it's a, a lot of tongue in cheek and getting that, that Abel James style sense of humor out there where we're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're just trying to get people healthy, put up some good recipes, poke fun at those posers that are, you know, trying to do more about branding and, and throw you some processed food instead of care about your health. So uh, I'm out there working hard. The Get Over Yourself podcast has been a lot of fun. I'm so glad to record a show with you. So go check out that show and a little off the beaten path. That's what we like here. Love it. You've done so much great work over the years and you're continuing to do so. So please listeners out there, viewers, go check out Brad Kearns. Great books, great podcast, other stuff too. Great dude. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you for being on the Fat Burning Man Show. This episode is brought to you by Wild Superfoods. Let's start with a quick question. Do health supplements really work? After testing many hundreds of tonics, supplements, powders, and potions over the past seven plus years, my wife Allison and I have found very few companies that we actually trust. Massive, faceless corporations seem to be running the show, often prioritizing profits well above our collective health. 
Many supplements in stores and online are of extremely low quality, are ridiculously overpriced, and some don't even contain the active ingredient they're supposed to be selling. We all deserve much better. That's why my wife Allison and I created Wild Superfoods. We're a small family business and we take our own products daily because we think they're the best out there. Our Ultimate Daily Bundle provides you with a complete supplement regimen that you can trust to deliver maximum health benefits without the guesswork. Whether you're looking for Mega Omegas, Vitamin D Stack, Probiotic Spheres, or Future Greens, our cutting-edge supplements have you covered. And as a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can save over $80 on a one-time purchase or save over $128 when you select Subscribe and Save. All you have to do is head on over to wildsuperfoods.com. You can type it into your address bar right now to order your very own health-boosting goodies for a rocking listener discount for a limited time. And as always, if you don't love any of our products from Wild Superfoods, then you get your money back. So one more time, all you have to do to check it out is visit wildsuperfoods.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you there. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for the Fat-Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or a family member. And if they're like, what is this fat-burning man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the Fat-Burning Man Show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far... We've won four awards, hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and, and couldn't do any of this without you. So thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. We'll give you a, a second here just to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes, transcripts, and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show for free. Better yet, enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now, along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again and have a great week.